You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff, and I am your host, Dr. Jeff Werber, here for another half hour on this lovely Thursday afternoon. Well, at least lovely here in Southern California, close to 80 degrees. It's in the, the mid to high 70s, not complaining, of course. And um, hope you all had a wonderful Christmas vacation, a little day off. Merry Christmas to everybody. And, um, you know, I always wonder, the day after a big holiday like this, is there such a letdown? How many of you are actually going to work? I mean, I, I was amazing. They're doing some construction on the street right in front of my office. And literally, I make a right turn onto this very major thoroughfare called Venice Boulevard. And I have to get literally just two blocks to make a U-turn around an island. There's a center island. And they're doing constructive west of my office on Venice. And literally that two blocks normally takes, if I tell you I'm not lying, it could take 10 minutes. And it actually takes me longer to go those two blocks to make that U-turn around the island than it does for me to get from my home to that street, to Venice Boulevard. Well, Tuesday when I came to work the day before the holiday, I turned the corner. There was nobody there. I, I could have played football in the street. It was dead. And talking to a lot of my clients and my employees, of course, I gave them off for Christmas Day. And um, so we were closed. And they're asking, well, gee, Doc, can we have like, are, are we going to be open Thursday and Friday? I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think this is, the post office? Of course we're going to be open. And, uh, you know, it's pretty hard. It's, I always get nervous in general, even on a three-day weekend when I have to be closed, like, you know, on the Memorial Day and the Labor Days when we're closed on Sunday and then Monday, two days in a row in a veterinarian's calendar. That is frightening. So just curious to know how many of you actually have to go to work today and tomorrow. Why don't you drop us a note? You can give us a call here on our show at very easy phone call, 877-385-8882. Or you can send me a little note. Uh, do it live while we're here at drjeff at petliferadio.com. Speaking of hearing from you, I really am curious to know what you gave your pets for Christmas. What kind of treats, what kind of gifts, what were you thinking when you sort of started making this plan, what you're going to give your pets over the holidays. And do you think by reading them, and I'm sure you all know your pets, you all know what makes them happy, you all know how to tell whether they're just take a dog and show them your leash. And before you know it, you know they're going to get all excited. Were they excited with what they got? Was it food? Was it treat? Was it um, a new play toy for your cat? I want to know what we got. In fact, what I like over this week, because I know that to, to get you to stop on vacation today if you're, if you're not working, I want you to send me to drjeff at petliferadio.com or drjeff at drjeff.com. That's drjeff at drjeff.com. It says identify who you are that you listen to us here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the best with Dr. Jeff. Not only will we share what you tell us on the air, but that'll be next week. However, that'll be the day after New Year's. However, we're also going to send you a free ProSense pet product from our sponsor, ProSense. So that makes it even more worth it for you. So whatever gift you got your pet, your dog or your cat, or even if you forgot to give them a gift, that's okay because we're going to get something from Pet Life Radio and ProSense to make it worth your while to go ahead and drop us a line, send us a note, because I think we all want to know. I think everybody wants to know. And if nothing else, it's going to give all of our listeners some ideas of what to get for next year. And also, I want to know, 
I saw this uh, news piece this past week of a, I'm trying to think where it was. It was obviously somewhere cold because a golden retriever was walking on a frozen lake that unfortunately wasn't so frozen and fell into the ice. And here is this dog. Now, I got to tell you, for a person to have fallen through this icy cold, into the icy cold water, we'd be hypothermic like crazy. This dog was just so casually swimming around. Fire departments came. They had to go in with their gear on, all suited up, and they got the dog, and they they had a rope with them. They pulled both the, the rescuer and the dog to safety, and the dog looked totally fine. The dog looked like it was just going for a nice winter swim. It was amazing to me. It wasn't shivering. It wasn't shaking. It wasn't stressed. It was unbelievable. And, you know, it's funny when I think about when I, my dogs swim during the winter in an unheated pool, you know, everybody else, nobody else would swim in the unheated pool. They go in like it's nothing. And you think, you know, two of my dogs are Labradors and I have a Labradoodle and they're so used to it. Their coat, their skin is so thick that we feel sorrier for them than they feel for themselves because it doesn't seem to bother them one bit. It's actually amazing. So because I'm so spoiled here in sunny, I mean, really uh, unseasonably sunny Los Angeles, where it's been in the, we had some cold days. I'm still hoping for more snow up in the mountains because I can't wait to take off and go snowboarding, which I'm planning to do next weekend. But I want to know what precautions are you taking with your pets during this icy cold weather and some good ideas that we might be able to share with other people, because I think that's really important that all of our listeners know kind of what's in store for them and what we can do to help them and their pets brave the icy cold winters, especially in places like Minnesota, where it is icy cold. So anyway, I also want to um, talk to you about some of the strange cases I had last couple of weeks. And um, one of the things that comes to mind in understanding and recognizing our pets is that I've had two cases of animals that have eaten really weird things and didn't present, interestingly, with the typical blockage. One of them, we ended up going into surgery, and the diagnosis was not made typically when a dog eats something and has an obstruction. The problem that we see is a very tender, painful abdomen and a particular gas pattern that we might see on an x-ray. And of course, a history of having eaten something, often the owner will come in and say, I saw my dog chewing on blank, or we are missing, you know, blank. Sometimes, for example, we had a dog that really liked to eat batteries and have an an unbelievably clear x-ray of two AA batteries sitting inside this dog's stomach, enough to make the Energizer bunny jealous. And so that's, those are easy. Those are the easy ones. I'm talking things that the, the animal comes in presenting with just, as we say, kind of half-jokingly in the veterinary terminology, ADR, ain't doing right, doc. And so the dog was ain't doing right and nothing specific. The belly wasn't that bad. The bloods were normal. The x-rays were okay. And it wasn't until an ultrasound that we just saw something very unusual in the intestinal tract. So we decide that for lack of anything better to do, and the, the dog hadn't been eating and the dog was vomiting, let's go ahead and take a look. At the very least, we figured we'd get some intestinal samples. But we were highly suspicious there was something in there. Sure enough, this dog was blocked at the ileocecocolic junction. And what it was, was a huge clump of hair. It almost looked like, if you ever had a, a stuck drain in your house, the kitchen sink is just blocked up and you get that Roto-Rooter guy coming in and, he, and they're trying to clean up all this stuff and all that comes out is just muck. 
nothing really specific. It was an accumulation of all these things. That's what was in this poor dog's intestine, and it was causing all the problems. Well, because it was not bone material, it was not metallic, and it really didn't show up on x-ray, because it wasn't a complete non-movable obstruction where gas couldn't get through, that's why it didn't present with a typical gas pattern. And because it had been moving up to a certain point, it explains why the dog's belly wasn't extremely tender, like, ouch, I got something inside of me, please be careful. And um, that's what it was. And the ileocecal junction is a really weird spot. And a lot of times, that's where we will catch a problem, something going on in that particular area. And it's very challenging because it's a very um, difficult area to determine, uh uh-oh, is what is causing the plug now going to create more problems or not? And um, we just don't know. So sometimes you're just going to have to go. You got to trust your intuition. You got to trust your veterinarian. If there's any doubt, anyone with really good ultrasound skills can often help make a determination. Obviously, you don't want to go in to explore unless you have to, because that's sort of what we call an invasive way to find out what's going on. But with the help of the ultrasound, it might, you know, sort of guide us to making the correct decision. The second case, somewhat similar in in that, that it was just so bizarre having two similar cases where, again, it was not your classic presentation of an obstruction. It was a dog who was not doing well and would vomit, but sometimes would eat, not, wouldn't vomit all the time, didn't have the classic gas pattern, etc. And this dog, too, had, it looks like it ate wood, and it may have even been like a wreath or something. And again, dogs like this kind of crud. And it was all sitting there in the intestine. And according to our surgeon, what it looked like, he said it it would block and then it would move. It would block and then it would move because there were areas of the intestine that were very irritated, but it didn't actually what we call perforate. It didn't make a hole in the intestine. So that explains why we we didn't have that classic signs. But this dog was one sick dog. And what happened... Then what got us to say, you know what, we really got to move on this, is the dog started showing signs of what we call toxicity, where the eyes, the, the white parts of the eyes called the sclera were beat red and injected. The eyes were sunken in. The dog was extremely dehydrated despite being on IV fluids. And it was becoming what we call septicemic. That means that it was starting to get signs of infection. The white cell count was going high. And this poor guy, despite the fact that everything else was normal, was not getting better, but was actually getting worse, which, and then after an ultrasound, clear indication that at the very least, this dog needs to be explored. And if we found nothing, then we'd at least we'd have to take some biopsy samples of the stomach, of the intestine, looking for possibly intestinal lymphoma, looking for possibly an inflammatory bowel disease, and things like that. So um, anyway, I just want to caution you that you don't want to wait too long, even though your pet signs aren't going to be extremely clear and textbook, if you will, don't wait too long. If things aren't right, if your dog is, as we say, ADR, ain't doing right, and it's going on for more than a day or so, go to see a veterinarian. Let's get an answer. There are some things that could be checked out that might you know, help us determine whether or not this is something that needs to be addressed. Anyway, we are here at the halfway point of our show. What I want to do is thank, once again, our sponsors, ProSense Pets. I want to thank our retail partners like Walmart and Target, where you can get our full line of ProSense products. And you are here with me, Dr. Jeff Werber, on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And we'll be right back. 
We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Swipe It's a revolutionary new product that literally swipes away cat hair from virtually any surface. You know, most of us struggle with a roller or vacuum cleaner to clean up cat hair, but anyone who has tried either of these knows they just don't work very well. But Swipe It's patent pending glove has a magnetic-like quality that removes cat hair from almost everything. And best of all, Swipe It's is machine washable, so you can use it over and over again. To order, just visit SwipeIt's.com. That's S-W-I-P-E-T Yes, a simple solution for shedding. single by Mark Winter. Available on iTunes. Hi, this is Tim Link, host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join me as we feature interviews with best-selling pet-related authors, award-winning writers, journalists, and bloggers. And we'll tell stories about the animals and interesting topics about the animals in our lives. Each of the interviews will give you a first-hand knowledge about why the authors and writers chose a particular story, what the feature animals meant to them, and what has become of those animals that we've talked about. And of course, I'll also share stories from my own books, blogs, articles, and experiences. So be sure to join me and the writers and authors on Animal Rights. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. So welcome back to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Werber, here on Pet Life Radio. And we are a live, catch it live program. So we want to hear from you. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. You can give us a call at 877-385-8882. Or if you are shy, and God, there are a lot of you out there that are shy, just go ahead and um, send me a note. Dr. Jeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com or drjeff at drjeff.com. And if you are just joining us, I once again want to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products, available at your local retailers. And just, just FYI, give us a call, send us an email, and in addition to an answer, we will also go ahead and give you a free, count it free, ProSense Pet Product. So you can't go wrong. Anyway, so we just talked about some weird presentations. I, you know, when we talk about cases like this, I really want you to all learn because what I hate happens is when I, something happens on the negative where somebody was not prepared for something, somebody didn't know. And I always think it's somewhat the veterinarian's fault, but to a degree that we can't think of everything that we're going to talk and teach our clients in one exam. Sometimes we have to wait till poop happens, as we like to say, so we can then educate you. So really take advantage of hearing stories that we could share with you that might help you in the future. Or if you're talking to friends and your friend says, God, my dog hasn't been doing right. He's been doing XYZ. You could say, wait a second. I heard Dr. Jeff on Pet Life Radio talking about that. You know what? You need to see your veterinarian. 
Another area that um, I don't think we've talked about in a while, I, I know we've covered because it's sort of near and dear to me. And um, as we are, I get more and more questions and I see, you know, I love rescue groups and we have a lot of rescue groups. And fortunately, a lot of you out there are adopting dogs from rescues. But one of the things that we, that I commonly see in question, there are a lot of experts out there and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of using that term half in jest. The experts are some of these breeders, some of these pet rescue people that seem to know, at least in their own minds, more than the veterinarians. So they are, for example, they are giving the adopters information that is a bit antiquated. And I want to caution you that when you are in a situation like that, I would make sure to, regardless of what the paperwork says, regardless of whether or not the paperwork says, oh, no, you don't need to see your veterinarian for another you know, X weeks or the next shots are due whenever, don't believe them. See your veterinarian. They may be right. Hopefully they are. I see more and more are actually kind of picking up on this and doing a better job. But there are still a lot of experts, and again, using the term loosely, out there that have not updated their information. And one such area is as far as vaccines. I am still seeing way too many pets that the vaccine series is being started at six weeks. That is way too early. One has to wait at least seven, preferably eight weeks. And then I had a lady come in. And you know that like when your veterinarian gives vaccines, they'll often put a sticker either in your little pamphlet or on the record from the vaccine. There were stickers. The dog was only 12 weeks old. And there must have been six or eight stickers on that thing already. That is, oh my God, talk about overkill. That is way too much. Not only is it unnecessary, giving vaccines too frequently or too early can actually be detrimental, as can counting the number of vaccines instead of the spread between the vaccines. In other words, two vaccines given four weeks apart can be more effective than three vaccines given two or three weeks apart. And you really need to know that. That is very important to know when to start vaccines, how frequently to give them, how many vaccines to mix together and give it one time, and what vaccines to give. So here are some guidelines. And again, this is my opinion. This is my show, so I get to be on my soapbox. However, I absolutely encourage you to check with your veterinarians as well. So firstly, puppies, typically, if started around eight weeks of age, are going to need three sets of vaccines. That's 8, 12, and 16 is ideal. 6, 8, 10 is not ideal. Still three vaccines, but totally ineffective. You don't want to complete your series, that which is meant to go for an entire year, much before 15 weeks of age, preferably 16 or even 17. So 9 and 13, 17 is perfect. 8, 12, 16 is perfect. 7, 11, 15, okay. If you have a dog, a rescue, for example, that you don't know for sure if they've ever had vaccines. You can't prove it regardless of age. My recommendation would be, at least if it's under a year of age, to give it at least a set of two, again, a month apart. One is priming the immune system. The other one is providing what we call an amnestic or a memory response, which is that response which is going to take us long-term. Now, what is long-term? This is where there is even some, I would say disagreement, that's a harsh term, just some opinions 
by a couple of the other experts out there. These are experts that at the, at the university level or have the advanced degrees that have been studying immunology that have different opinions. One says after the long term, after that vaccine, the last one of a series, you're probably good for two to three years, maybe even three. Another one says, well, I think that after the puppy series, meaning 16 weeks of age, give the first booster at a year and then go every three. So that's the one I follow just to be safe. You know, a lot of LA dogs' lifestyle is such that they're running around. There's a lot of potential for exposure and contagion. So I, I, I prefer to be a little bit more careful. That's kind of my take on it. But you're going to want to check with your veterinarian. Rabies. Rabies vaccine is required by law. Depending on your state and or municipality, it's either going to be every year. Sometimes the first one, if given to a dog or a cat under a year of age, is only good for a year. After that, it's good for three years. There are many states that continually want them once a year. As far as which vaccines to consider, I recommend, again, you speak to your veterinarian and determine what is core in your area. Core are diseases that are prevalent, that you know exist, that should be vaccinated against. Some of the vaccines that are, and also I want to add one more thing, core means lifestyle. For example, I have cats. I have a lot of cats, eight to be exact. They're all indoors. Do my indoor cats need leukemia vaccine? Do my indoor cats need rabies vaccine? Let me add that in California, rabies is not required in cats. In states where it is required, regardless of whether your cat is indoor or outdoor, you probably have to do it because it's required by law. Not a big fan of that, but it is what it is. But in California, since it's not required by law and my cats are indoors, I have not invited any rabid animals into my home in quite a while, from bats to raccoons to you name it, to squirrels to skunks. So I think I'm pretty safe. And the only vaccines that I give to my cats on a very infrequent basis are the upper respiratory vaccines because, of course, those can be introduced into the home via open windows, cats that are roaming outdoors, etc. But rabies obviously requires the bite of a rabid animal. Feline leukemia requires prolonged, direct contact with a leukemia-positive carrying cat. And again, that's not going to happen in my household. Let's talk some dog diseases. Bordetella, the lay term we call it is kennel cough. In LA, I call it take your dog for a walk cough, go to the dog park cough, take a walk on Melrose cough, go to the vet cough, go to the groomer cough, go to the doggy daycare cough. It is everywhere. So therefore, I recommend the Bordetella vaccine as one of our core vaccines. Now, lepto, leptospirosis, for example, I don't consider core. Now, if I have a patient that frequents hikes up in the mountains and things like that where lepto might be a problem, then for that dog, yes, I will give a lepto vaccine. Likewise, the Lyme disease vaccine, that's just not a huge problem here in Southern California. So it is not part of my core vaccines, nor is a rattlesnake vaccine. However, again, if one of my patients does a lot of hiking with the owners and they say they've identified and know they're in a rattlesnake area, then of course we are going to give the rattlesnake vaccine. So it's very important to treat your pets as individuals and check with your veterinarian. And that's what we want to do because we want to make sure that we only give them that which they need. Now, cats are a little different. There is, again, some discussion, I wouldn't say argument, some opinions about whether or not you need to give cats a series of three vaccines because many have shown and proven that most cats at 12 to 13 weeks of age have developed their immune system enough to wait the year at least before their first adult booster. 
So I'd say for a cat, if you want it to do 9 and 13 weeks, that's probably going to be fine, especially for an indoor cat. An indoor cat, because it's not going to be challenged that much by what's out there. Now, one thing that we've seen a lot of, and I've been doing what's called titers. I have a lot of clients that really don't like to give vaccines unnecessarily. And unfortunately, though the rules have changed in the animal world for both dogs and cats as to how often, how frequently we need to booster our dogs and cats, what would once be every year, now for most of the, many of the vaccines, is every three years. Rabies is three. Distemper parvo is three. FERCP, the feline vaccine for rhinocalisi pneumonitis is three. Bordetella, I still think one or even, believe it or not, six months. If your dog frequents, travels a lot, goes to the doggy daycares, goes to the groomer facilities often, goes to um, boarding facilities often, it's really not that great a shot. So you might want to give it every six months. Again, I would check with your veterinarian. Now, I had a question recently. I was uh, I had a, presented with a 9-year-old, 10-year-old cat, indoor only, had not had any vaccines for several years. Cat was healthy as can be. My cat should be so healthy. And the subject came up of, oh, my God, we noticed we hadn't given vaccines in a long time. The owner was a little bit hesitant to give vaccines because of what she's been reading. So I called one of my gurus who's here based in Southern California, uh, immunologist. It's her lead that I often follow when it comes to vaccines. And I called her up and I asked her, I said, look, I have this patient in front of me, nine and a half, 10-year-old cat, healthy as can be, hasn't had vaccines in several years, indoor only, do I need to vaccinate? And her answer was not even a moment, a split seconds hesitation was absolutely not. So again, we really feel, many feel, that once our pets hit a certain age, they are so immune. Their own immune systems are so well-developed, have been primed for so many years with low levels of whatever, and they do not need our vaccines any longer. And again, I can only share that with you. You need to check with your vets, but I've seen a lot. Now, I have been doing titer testing, as I mentioned earlier. And with the titers, it is a test that we run that measures antibody, measures existing antibody. And I have some animals, that, uh, some owners, I should say, that really just don't like to give vaccines if not necessary. And I give a deal to my clients, and I think it's a great deal. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm, they thank me for it. I say, I'll tell you what. I know it costs money to do the test, and I know it costs money to vaccinate. And I know as a consumer, you'd feel like being ripped off if, you're, if you have to pay for both. So I say, I'll tell you what. I think that titering is a better way to go. Because if we show that your pet is amply protected, then why vaccinate? Why, why throw more antigen at him to stimulate the immune system? Just let him be. He's got, enough he's got enough protection already, antibody protection already. So I'll tell you what, do the test. I think it's a better way to go. If that test comes back low, meaning we don't have enough protection, which by the way, I rarely get. I get it a few times. I'll throw in the vaccine for free. So that way they can't lose. They're not paying twice. I sound like it's a great way to go. And I think I'm doing the pet a service. And I'm certainly making my clients happy because they don't feel like they're being ripped off and having to pay twice, both for the test and then for the actual vaccination injection. Well, I could tell you that in years and years I've been doing titer testing, I can count on two hands. And now I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of animals that I've ended up having to vaccinate. So there you have it. Anyway, I'd love to hear what your veterinarians say. Send me a little note. To Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com next week on our show. Call us at 877-385-8882. I want to know what your doctor's vaccine protocols are. Do they agree? Do they disagree? I'd love to have a little active discussion about this. I think it's really important because I do believe we as a profession have been and sometimes still are over 
vaccinating. Well, thank you for joining us here on Pet Life Radio. You're on with Dr. Jeff Werber. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And once again, I want to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products, and our retailers for carrying ProSense Pet Products. And we want to wish you a very, very happy new year. And we'll be here next Thursday live here on Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.